Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do. But I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things. You're listening to There's Always a Way podcast with Dr. Jay Strack. And today we're going to hear from the senior pastor of the Nairobi Chapel, Nick Courier. Pastor Nick is an adventure motorcycle rider, and he passionately rides across Africa to raise funds to provide educational scholarships for needy students in high schools and universities in Kenya through Nairobi Chapel's Logos Scholarship Fund. Pastor Nick's life purpose is building a generation of reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ that are righteous, responsible, and enjoy healthy relationships. He is passionate about investing in emerging youth leadership in Africa through discipleship, mentorship, and leadership development. There's always a way with Pastor Nick Courier. Now here's our host, Dr. Strack. Well, I want to welcome you once again to There's Always a Way podcast, and I want to introduce you to one of the most dynamic leaders that I know on the planet. I don't mean just in my denomination or my circle or my my state or even my country. This is an international leader, and we're talking to senior pastor of Nairobi Chapel, Nick Kaur. And Nick, it is such a privilege to reconnect with you and to hear about you and your family. And first of all, congratulations on, I know it's been several years now, senior pastor of Nairobi Chapel, but welcome to There's Always a Way podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jay. And it's such an honor and a privilege uh, to finally be on the uh, podcast. It's just amazing. The inspiration I've received over the years from you, uh, from your family, from the student leadership university community. And um, yeah, it's just always an encouragement to spend time with you. Um, You lighten up every single moment. And uh, it's just fun being able to laugh with you and uh, um, just just being able to be myself uh, with you. So Thank you. Thank you. It's such an honor. Well, man, you're very, you're very gracious. I mean, first of all, your background is uh, fascinating. Uh, you mm-hmm. start out getting a technology degree. Hello. Yeah. You know, wanting <laughs> to, I'm sure, create another, uh, another app or another uh, uh, online opportunity and technology and make your fortune, fame and, fo- you know, and then along the way, uh, you know, things begin to happen in your life. Yeah. And then you go on to get a leadership uh, studies degree, get a master's in that. Yeah. And uh, when I first met you, you were kind of the guru, the magnet for all things that could reach students. And mm-hmm. I don't mean not just in Nairobi, not just in Africa, but all over the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh I mean, not just in Kenya, but all, but for the continent of Africa. And so, uh, Nick, with your background, now you've been you've been a youth pastor in several situations. You are a connector, a a a respected leader. Uh, your education, but uh, and of course, you've traveled quite a bit. So, with your perspective, Nick, uh, mm-hmm. what is the first thing you think of when you hear the phrase "There's always a way"? What comes to mind? There's always a way. There's always a way. Uh, means there's no problem that cannot be solved. 
there's no difficulty that cannot be overcome. There's no mountain that cannot be conquered. There's always a way means what you see is not quite what you get. Um, there's, there's a way to be able to conquer um, that challenge and um, that mountain in that sense. So there's always a way just simply means what you see is not what you get. Wow. Um, there's, there, there's something beyond that. And, and if you could only discover it, you could be able to conquer it. Yeah. Well, Nick, you've, uh, you've said a lot of things through the years that have mm -hmm. stuck with me. You know, mm -hmm. I call those things sticky phrases, you know, yeah. sticky things. They, you remember them. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I always remember your smile, your love for your family, but yeah. just the way you embrace uh, everybody for the, for the glory of God. And you welcome mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, I've been in some groups with you where there had to be it seemed like 50 denominations present. I don't even know how you, how you kept them all straight. And yet it, we were there for one reason. What's God up to? What's he doing? So you yeah. have demonstrated, and, and I've watched you at several levels of leadership and how you have just leaned in and said, this is where God has put me and I'm going to give, I'm going to give it everything I got. And there were times you were the man when you walked in, the meeting started, but I've watched you, a, seems like 50 times where you were running around and setting up tables and getting chairs and meals or picking somebody up from the airport. You never really worried about, Hey man, am I going to be the guy on the stage? You worried more. Yeah. I just sensed your heart was, we got to make this happen for the Lord. So whatever I can do, I'm going to do. And that's one of the first impressions I got of you. Yeah. So um, I think, Jay, that has come from a long way. Um, I grew up in rural Kenya, a place called Kericho, in the rural parts of, of this country. And I grew up, you know, in a, you know, in a, in a humble family. Uh, I, I got an education um, and I thank God for that. And it was a sacrifice of my father and a lot that he invested in me, he denied himself so much so that I could be where I am today. And it is that sacrifice at the end of the day um, that made me who I am. Now, I went away from the Lord. Um, my mother was a prayerful woman. She was, um, you know, constantly trying to get us to understand what Christianity is, ETC. She tried to get us to church early enough. Uh, but somewhere along the way, I went uh, my own way. And I literally decided to leave home, like, simply like the prodigal son. Uh, one day, I, you know, uh, I told my dad, I mean, I want to try out my life on my own. I was away from home for two years. And in that time, I did everything remotely possible that you could do away from the Lord. Um, but there's an auntie of mine who once knew my, you know, the situation that I was in, how desperate my situation is. She is the one who reached out to me when I was away from you know, my home completely. She reached out to me and she expressed me love. She told me, I know you are drinking a lot. I know you're wasting your life away, but I'd like you to come every Saturday to my house for me to make sure you have a square meal, uh, for me to make sure you've eaten something. And I didn't know, but she was expressing love to me. And I went to her house every weekend and I sat and I had a square meal and continued with partying and continued with my life. But it's on March the 11th, 1995, in her house, seated in her living room, 
eating her meal that she asked me, what do you want out of your life? Why are you wasting your life? Um, what is it that you're looking for? And she gave me a picture of God's love and how God accepts me just the way I am. That's when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I could say that was my first huge embrace. I received an embrace from God and he hugged me and he accepted me for who I am. Then later on, you mentioned that I did um, technology. The reason why I did technology in university is it was called appropriate technology. I, I loved working with my hands. So it was all about looking for technologies that are foreign to Africa, making them appropriate uh, to be used in Africa so that we could use it for agriculture, we could use it for different you know, other reasons. So I studied renewable energy and how to use renewable energy for agriculture, ETC, um, in, in Africa. And my first job after I finished my studies was actually in South Sudan. So I went to South Sudan. I worked with an organization called ADRA, the Adventist Development Relief Agency, uh, doing irrigation systems you know, out in South Sudan. And I remember being in South Sudan. At that time, the war zone, it was a war zone. Um, you know, it, was, it was a difficult time um, in that South Sudan. That sounds like a harsh assignment. Going yeah, it was, it was the toughest part of probably Africa at that time. The war was going on. It was not even an independent nation. It's the youngest nation in Africa right now. They hadn't received uh, their independence. And I worked there in a jungle. I mean, we were literally um, skipping landmines because anywhere you could step on a landmine and lose your leg, you know, ETC. It was a harsh place. It was a difficult place. But it's interesting that in a place of greatest luck, God showed me his greatest love. Um, God showed me the faces of the young people of Africa. And I remember after working there for a year, God told me, I brought you to South Sudan to give you an opportunity to fall in love with the youth of Africa. And right there, God, beyond the hug that God had given me in salvation, he now gave me the opportunity to understand the magnitude of his love. And he called me to love this generation of young people. That's where God called me to ministry. I left my job in South Sudan. I came to my local church and I told my senior pastor, God has called me to serve people. At that time, it was unheard of. A young man with a university degree, the only son in his family who is supposed to support all his other siblings. I have uh, five, no, four sisters. We are five in total. A man who's supposed to support his siblings has left a job to come and do ministry and to come and serve in something that he cannot gain much from. In those days, there were, you could count the number of youth pastors in my country in one hand, less than five youth pastors in the whole country. Youth pastor was not even something that was accepted by the church. But God told me, I brought you here to fall in love with the youth of Africa because the youth of Africa need that embrace. So everything I have tried to do is to just simply pass on to the youth of Africa what God did to me. He embraced me the way I was. He loved me the way I was, and he called me the way I was. He brought me from a rural part of this country, and now he's using me in ways that I had never thought, I had never even imagined. We serve a God of complete grace, a, a God of grace. How old that were you, Nick? How completely sufficient. How old were you? I was 21 when, when I started ministry. Um, wow. So 21 years of, of age, and I've been serving God you know, ever since. Yeah. Well, you started in your local church. Uh, yeah. One of the great lessons we try to teach at student leadership is you got to start where you are, use what you have, and do what you yeah. can, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, started where you were. 
And as a young man, uh, you and by the way, I'm so grateful. I mean, there's a hundred analogies. I'd love to do a podcast just on what you learned about irrigation and emerging technologies and how to yeah. make them available. I'm sure that same kind of thinking has come into mind several times as you look yeah. at, you know, when you, and I think of all the different, uh, I think of irrigation, the minute you said that, I think of how all these channels have come yeah. together that you've brought together and harnessed together uh, to make sure we get that life-giving water out to all of Africa, you know, exactly. resourcing uh, so many. And so uh, that'd be an interesting podcast in itself, what you learned in those years. Yeah. Uh, Nick, you, you made a great statement that uh, God does his best work in the worst seasons of life. Yeah. Can you tell us about how you came to that understanding and conclusion? Um, it's basically um, a principle in scripture. I think what God did in Joseph's life, because um, I was studying Joseph's life and, and, and seeing how God formed and shaped a man in the darkest point in his life, in the prisons of his life. And God has done that in, in my life. Um, God has taught me through probably the roughest and the toughest seasons of my life. Um, let me just give you a few examples. My wife and I are from two different tribes in Kenya. Um, and they are basically the two tribes that have uh, led this country. So we have um, 43 tribes in our country, but there are two tribes that have, been, that have produced presidents um, that have served this nation. Um, my tribe is one of them and my wife's tribe is the other. But unfortunately, these tribes have become almost sworn enemies uh, um, and are competitive politically. And that has trickled down to our communities. So when we were getting married or when we were preparing to get married, my dad completely refused uh, for me to get married to somebody in that tribe. Because at that time, the tribes were not, you know, they were not, um, they, they were not seeing eye to eye in that sure. sense. So we went through a lot of difficulty. My, my, my uncles and the rest of my family were not in agreement with me getting married. And it was a very rough season, a very tough season, feeling rejected by the very you know, family that you belong to simply because of a tribal issue. And for me, who is now a believer, who's a Christian, you know that there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. God sees us the same. There's no tribe in God's eyes. And our relationship went through the roughest and the toughest season just before marriage. In fact, my parents didn't come for my wedding. Um, none of my family members came for my wedding because at that time it was, it was not common that you'd find people, you know, from two different tribes easily getting married because these tribes were, you know, tribes that were warring in that sense. They were not in, in, in agreement with each other. And I remember this was almost the roughest, you know, time of our relationship, but probably this rough season is what has formed the friendship that I have with my wife. Uh, we dated for six years. We've been married for 17 years. She is still my best friend. And I attribute the solid foundation of our friendship to the fact that we held each other's hand. And when we had no one but us and God and the difficult and challenging situation ahead of us, we were able to be formed and shaped to be solidified. Uh, the image we use is a vice, huh? Uh, like a bench vice, and we have molten metal in between. And when the heat 
um, burnt us and melted us as metal, her peace and my peace. God used the difficult situation to tighten us together and it fused us together. And we are almost inseparable simply because of the commitments that we made in the darkest seasons of our life. When I was under great pressure to leave her because she was not approved uh, by my family and not approved by my community. Um, it, it was not easy. Um, and that was the first vice and the first difficult and challenging season that molded our friendship. And then you know, my wife and I, immediately after that, we hoped we would get biological children in the next two or three years. And we waited the fourth year and the fifth year and the sixth year and the seventh year and the 10th year. And after 15 years, we recognized we were not getting biological children. And it was a hard, hard 15 years um, of processing that and recognizing um, that that may not be what God's will is for us. And that even in spite of the difficulty of processing a season such as that, that still solidified us together. When everything else was chipped away from us, the only thing we had was each other. And that allowed us again for our relationship um, to continue to be solidified. And after our 15th year, God blessed us with twin boys. Um, you know, that we adopted. And these are probably the biggest blessings of our life. Until today, we are wondering, I mean, I mean, why, why, why didn't we trust God that God had a plan for us to raise these two boys? In fact, we gave them Swahili names that mean tools. Um, each of them has a name, Msaha and Mshale. Um, Mshale is an arrow and Msaha is a, a, digging, a digging tool uh, for, for agriculture. And the reason why we gave them those names is because we feel that we are tools in God's hands. And we feel that these boys are going to be tools in God's hands. And God had a purpose, even in our pain, even in our difficulty, even in our challenge for us to be parents of people who are going to be tools um, in God's hands. So I think I've just seen it in my life that the right. toughest and the most difficult seasons produce the greatest commitment, produce the most special results when we patiently wait on God for his purposes that are yea and amen to come to pass. What a um, great, so that has been a special time for us. Nick, what a great message for so many that are listening. And some of us, uh, you know, the whole planet's kind of felt like we're at a standstill because of some of the challenges going on. Uh, certainly Africa has got all kinds of challenges. It just seems like every day. Uh, the United States, we're not near as cocky as we were that we got all the answers because we've gone through a lot of challenge, you know, yeah. so it's been a reminder, you know, we're all in this together and we better, we better get it figured out, sorted out. And first of all, it starts with looking to him, but yeah. Nick, uh, I, uh, I just think what a great reminder for whether it's a student or a businessman, you know, every bit, so many businesses have been affected so many health, so many of us have lost loved ones or people we care about through, you know, all kinds of challenges here recently. So what a great reminder to all of us. God does his best work in the worst seasons of our life. And uh, Nick, I also love you say a person who cannot see the ultimate becomes a slave to the immediate. Mm -hmm. How did you come to that? Give, give me a Give me a word on that, because I think that's a great <laughs> leadership lesson right there. Yeah. Um, I think, again, as you painted the picture um, in Africa, um, the immediate for us is desperately 
discouraging. The immediate. When you look at 45% of my country unemployed and you know the unemployment rate that is in our country is crazy. When you look at the generation that we're in where 50% of all the kids that finish elementary school in Kenya never walk into a high school um, in, in this country. And when you look at the desperate situation that many of our young people are, we have the youngest population in the world, Africa does. I mean, our country, the median age of Kenya is 20. That's the average age of our country. 75% of my country is below the age of 35. We have a young population. And one of the realest things for me every single day is interacting with hopelessness. Because when somebody sees um, the, the situation that they're in, the, I mean, it's, their heart is crushed. And it's very easy for your heart to be crushed. And it's very easy for you not to be able to serve um, in an environment where every time you look around, there are places of discouragement. And sometimes I need to look beyond that so that I can wake up the next morning and see a new day. I need to look beyond that. And it just, that statement just reminds me that there's something greater. I mean, um, there's a study that was done by uh, Gordon Cornwall, um, the university. Um, they did a study about um, the, the largest cities in the world by the year 2100. Um, and it's very interesting that um, they, they said that by the year 2100, um, Africa, Africa would have three of the largest cities in the world will be in Africa. One country, Nigeria, four of the largest 50, you know, the four of the largest cities in the world will be in Nigeria, one country alone in Africa. Um, the population in this country will continue to grow. The opportunities in this country will continue to grow. The possibilities in this continent will continue to grow. Four of growing economies of those and the possibilities in Africa are huge. That 28,000 people give their lives to Christ. growing continent, Christianity-wise. People are giving their lives to Christ. Immediate. I'll give up. If I look at the immediate, I'll throw in the towel. If I look at the immediate, I cannot see any possibility. Um, mm. And that's why, um, you know, uh, I need to focus on the ultimate. The ultimate is God has a bigger picture for us. God has a greater plan for us. We were recipients of the gospel initially by faithful missionaries that traveled across the world so that we can receive the gospel. God wants us to now send out missionaries to the rest of the world. I need to look at that ultimate. The ultimate is for us to be a sending nation, not just a receiving nation. We have a young population that is passionate about God. Youth is a gift. Yes, there's hopelessness among our youth, but there's passion, there's strength, there's drive, there's energy, there's people that desperately want to see God use them. And I need to focus on that. And, and it's that ultimate that God wants to use that I need to constantly uh, be uh, keeping focus. And that's what, what wakes me up in the morning um, wow. when I, I see the ultimate opportunities that God has um, in store for us as Africa. Well, Nick, it's no wonder uh, that you now at this stage pastoring one of the most influential churches, I believe, in the world, Nairobi Chapel. Um, but before we began this podcast, you said, excuse me just a second, I've got to shut my door. And it, it was an interesting, a great leadership principle as well. Uh, sh talk, talk about your open door policy as a senior pastor 
who's involved in things all over the world and so many needs locally, not only your country, but they're just in Nairobi and in your own congregation, which is huge. Uh, share about that concept, the open door policy. Uh, yeah, so the, the open door policy, um, just before we started the podcast, I, I needed to close my door because um, I, I, I just told our staff and anyone, any of our members and anyone that, that needs to... Um, you know, spend some time and chat with me. If you ever walk to this door and find the door open, then it's your time. And you walk in and no one else is there, then it's your time. Um, and if you find the door closed, then somebody else uh, has already taken that time. So I just try and keep an open door policy in the sense that um, I hardly ever make appointments here when I'm here at church because I just want people to be free enough to walk in and mm -hmm. um, spontaneously share what they have in their hearts. So the open door policy is just a, a, it's a statement of acceptance. It's a statement of welcome. It's a statement of reception. It's a statement of expectation. I'm expecting you to walk in. So feel free. Don't worry. Um, and it's a statement of what God says. Approach my throne of grace with confidence. And that's where you'll be able to find help even in time of need. So it just encourages people to step in when they need to. The minute someone sees a closed door, I think the most discouraging, one of the most discouraging words in the English language is closed. Close. When you walk up to a bank and it's closed and you walk up to, you know, and you see that sign closed, it means the opportunity is shut. You have been shut out. You're not accepted. Um, ETC. Um, so I, I just want to try and give a sense of openness. And I love that. It yeah. uh, sounds like, it sounds like great wisdom when you're a youth pastor. But by the time most become in more and more and more and more responsibility and demands on our time, that all yeah. of a sudden, you know, so to hear you in that role still have that same approach, man, if the door's open, come in, I'm yours. Yeah. Uh, let me know. So I, Nick, one of my most cherished possessions, and I've got, I collect memorabilia, you know, I do a lot with sports teams all over the world and I get a lot of great opportunities. Uh, so I've, I've got autographs and, and, and gifts from places, but one of the most meaningful gifts that I've received was from you and your sweet wife when you gave me the drum. And you can see I've got the drum right here, and I didn't get it out just uh, because we were going to be talking to Nick. Uh, I either have it on my desk or, and when I started doing the podcast, I wanted to kind of make sure that was something that was seen, but the story behind the drum greatly moved me. And, and I just wanted you to know how much I appreciated that gift. Yeah. And, and Jay, let me just, um, probably just, um, make, you know, make, make you understand why the drum was very significant for my wife and I. Um, to give you, and we've, we've shared that story with you, but let me just share something else also. Um, you're a cheerleader, Jay. You're a cheerleader. And from the time I met you, you've not stopped cheering me. And in Africa, when that drum is beat, um, it, it raises the tempo, it raises the spirits of people, it encourages people, but it also sets the tempo. Um, so there's, it's, there's a trend-setting element of the drum. In Africa, the beat of that drum determines the tempo of or the environment that we're in. And if I was to describe you in one way, I would call you cheerleader, encourager, somebody who goes, you know, um, um, pressing, encouraging younger leaders to press on and not give up. Uh, but also you're a trendsetter. 
Um, so in terms of the tempo, as you beat the drum, the, it determines the tempo. If you take it slower, then we dance slower in Africa. If you take it faster, then we dance faster in that sense. And, and that drum is so central to all our celebration. That drum is so central um, to all our ceremonies. Um, and in every sense, you have been that to us. Uh, to my wife, Julie, and I, a cheerleader, an encourager, and you have constantly, um, you know, set the tempo, you know, for us in what you do and how you do it, in how you love and how you take care of people, in how you teach and in how you guide and how you lead. And in every sense, I think it was a very significant gift for us uh, to be able to give you so that um, sometimes when you look at it, you remember what you have done to people across the sea and how you've constantly encouraged us. So that drum is significant to us. Well, thank you, Nick. That's, um, again, one of the most meaningful things Diane and I have, and it you know, just reminds us of y'all and to be faithful to pray for our brothers and sisters yes. uh, all over Africa, but especially in Nairobi and in Kenya. Um, yeah. Nick, uh, we live in a world of celebrity leaders, and in, it's kind of interesting. Now we've even got a lot of Christians that are kind of celebrity leaders. Maybe they've written a lot on leadership or they've been an educator or an athlete with a great testimony or, or a pastor who's been very successful. But what in the world, Nick, what, what does the word and what should the word selfless leader mean uh, to us that are really on this leadership journey? Um. I think, and, and our world is not different from yours, um, Dr. Strack, even culturally. We, sure. we live in a kingdom that has chiefs. And, and, and you know, we understand what it means um, for celebrity in a cultural sense, where everybody serves you. People kneel and they give you food. Um, and, you know, that's, that's how traditionally uh, leadership looked like for us. It looked like royalty. It looks like a chief and people, you know, kneeling at their feet, um, etc. But what constantly, constantly surprises me is the image that Jesus Christ portrays um, of leadership. And the image he portrays is an image that wants to um, fade off in the background and let the ultimate purpose be seen. Uh, an image that wants to recognize people and an image that wants to acknowledge people, an image that wants to... Um, the people that have been shunned for him to draw them out and allow them the opportunity to be seen differently. Um, the image of someone that looks for almost the least of these and allows the least of these to be recognized and be made the most special of these. So it's, it's, it's an image of someone that desires to fade out and desires for people who had faded out to be in the limelight. It's, that's what I see of servant leadership, where I want to diminish, and, and John the Baptist says this, I must decrease so that he can be able to increase um, in John 3.30. And, right. and that's what I constantly see. Servant leadership is all about the servant fading out and the person that you're serving being in view. You place his needs before yours. You place his aspirations before yours. Um, you place... Um, his purpose even before yours. You place everything about him uh, before yours. And all you do is you become an enabler. You become an enabler of others. Um, you become somebody that is a cheerleader of others, a supporter of others, a lover of others. 
Um, I constantly see Jesus doing that in scripture. And my greatest desire, even for young people, uh, because for many, you know, youth ministers, as we teach the next generation, uh, we think we know everything and we think people, um, you know, uh, want to hear what we know. But at the end of the day, they want to just know that we actually care about them. Um, you know, so I honestly think for the generation that we're in, th this generation needs more listeners. This generation needs more people to be able to get off their pedestal and meet them where they are and take a step into their territory, march into their place and, and be able to walk where they're walking, to be able mm. to sit where they're sitting, to eat what they're eating. One of our you know, most transformational uh, servant leadership activities here uh, at Nairobi Chapel, uh, Nairobi Chapel is literally, um, literally neighbors the biggest slum south of the Sahara. It's called Kibra. Um, it's got about, you know, 1.8 million people that live within a two-kilometer or two-square-mile, you know, radius. And it's, it's just a huge slum. So what we usually do here for our leaders here at Nairobi Chapel is there's something we call urban plunge. So we ask them to go and live for two weeks in people's homes to eat what they eat, to do what they do, to sell what they sell, to walk where they walk for two weeks. And after two weeks, of being resident and physically present where people are at. It breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. You come down from your pedestal and you begin to appreciate the things that you have and you begin to recognize the place of serving others and loving others and knowing um, where they're at. So I honestly think it's fading out and letting others you know, come out into the limelight. People who are in the shadows come out into the limelight because you've given the opportunity you've given them the opportunity to stand in the light um, so that that's, it's almost like shifting the spotlight from you and allowing somebody else to be in view, somebody else's needs, somebody else's priorities, uh, where somebody else is. So I see servant leadership uh, basically as that, diminishing Man. and letting others come out in the light. Nick, that is, uh, I, uh, I do a lot of teaching. I've read hundreds of books on leadership. I attend you know, I want to be around great leaders. That, my brother, is one of the most significant leadership principles I've heard in many a year. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, two welcome. things come to mind. You know, uh, uh, we started student leadership with the same burden you had uh, for the youth of Africa, and you still have. But, uh, you know, we wanted to give our students uh, a 20-year head start, you know, if we could teach young people how to learn some of the lessons and develop some skills that you normally have at 40, if they could have that at 15 or 20, it would give them a huge head start. And we, yet we were realized there was this kind of leadership is title, it's a position, look at me, I'm in a leadership role. And so we really struggled with what was what were we going to build student leadership on? And the Lord just gave it to us simply one day. Leadership begins at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. It's just absolutely. that simple. Leadership begins at the feet of Jesus. And by that, who was the one who was willing to wash feet? Who is the one that was willing to jump in the ditch with someone that was unclean? you know, in every ceremonial, you know, understanding we have of Judaism, somebody that was bleeding half dead. We don't know which half was dead, but half dead, <laughs> the Bible says, yeah. but there's Jesus. 
And there's no question when you read about the Good Samaritan, and yes, that's a parable, but there's no, everybody knows who the Good Samaritan, that was Jesus. He jumped in the ditch for mankind. So that leadership begins at the feet of Jesus. And then on the other side of the coin, Nick, uh, one of my favorite sayings, when you get around some folks and they kind of strut, you know what I mean? They kind of have a, you know, what are you doing? You know, that, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Peacock one day, feather duster the next. All right. You know, you see the peacock with all his feathers and yet there's going to be a day that those feathers end up just being something people use to dust, (laughs) dust Mm. and clean with. So, Uh, What a great example and a reminder to all of us that we're praying for big things to happen. We're asking the Lord to expand our our ministry and our influence. Uh, All of those are, I think, legitimate prayer requests. Mm -hmm. But as you do that, I love your less, go live and serve. And, you know, that's why one one reason, Nick, I want, as soon as we get back, to uh, a normal world where there's some travel and we can do large gatherings and all that. But in our youth pastor summits, we now do eight. uh, And even though we're going to try to feature you on one of our uh, virtual ones, but I just want that message of servant leadership and how God's used you every level. And yet now the influence just is multiplied. You become a force multiplier by, by serving the Lord. And, you know, when you, you know, the Bible says he that is loved, he that has been loved much forgives much. Mm. And I think there's a sense of accomplishment that leaders get to and it gets to them. Um, When you get to a place and that place actually begins to get to you. Um, And it's probably the, 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 the most important thing to guard, to guard the source of your influence. The source of your influence is God. The minute you feel that the source of your influence is your knowledge, the source of your influence is your experience, the source of your experience is your, um, sorry, the source of your influence is your know-how or your you know, strategies and all those things. The minute you shift the source of your influence away from the Lord to yourself, that's the person you begin to worship. Um, mm-hmm. And I think too many leaders begin to worship themselves and that's um, misplaced worship. Um, The person that needs to be worshiped from the start to the end is God. And it is God that has enabled me to be where I am. It's God that has enabled you to be where you are. And if I keep God as the object and the source of my influence, um, I think that's, for me, that's the thing that I guard most. What is the source of my influence? When I preach a sermon, the source of my influence is not the words I've used. It is a spirit of God that is convicting people, that is meeting people where they are. Let me guard that source of my influence. The source of my influence as I lead the church is God's grace and God's love and God's power that is at work among people. It is not the, 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 you know, the strategies of Nairobi Chapel or the volunteers of Nairobi Chapel or the networks of Nairobi Chapel or even the activities or the initiatives of Nairobi Chapel. It is God and the spirit of God that is at work in us, that is the source of our influence. And if I keep that the object of our focus and guard it jealously, then at the end of the day, we are able to impact many. Well, Nick, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your friendship. I want to most of all praise the Lord for your ministry 
and your yeah. family. Um, and I'm looking forward to many more uh, heartfelt discussions. And yeah. I just want you to know, uh, you gave us uh, an open door today, yes. and we're grateful for that. And yeah. what you have shared, whether it's no matter where we are in the journey, and hopefully everybody listen to this podcast and they can either watch it or listen to it. And Nick, mm -hmm. we're going to have your information available, uh, you know, so they know exactly who you are, where you are and how to pray yes. for you. Uh, yes. But I want you to know, uh, Nick, we're uh, I'm just grateful you had an open door for us today and rest assured that there's people here that love you and believe in you and just are saying, Lord, thank you. And please give us multiply, give us many more Nick's and Julia's out there. Yeah. And thank you very much, uh, Dr. Strack, for all your encouragement and um, just being able to facilitate for youth ministers across the world eh? and to be able to encourage them. And uh, it, it, it's very encouraging for us to be able to know um, that there are people praying for us, there are people that believe in us, because um, the terrain we're in can get very discouraging. And sometimes you just need to lift your head above the water uh, to be able to see that there's actually a horizon, um, you know, somewhere. And um, it's, it's exciting to be able to constantly do that um, uh, through mentors and people that we look up to uh, like you. I pray that God will bless SLU, God will bless, um, you know, all the initiatives that you have to encourage youth pastors um, across the world. And uh, thank you once again. Um, you know, God bless you. Thank you. I God bless you, Nick. And uh, keep on keeping on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. God bless you. You too. We've been listening to Nick Kaur, senior pastor of Nairobi Chapel. And I'm telling you, it is an anointed place. Can't wait to see you again, my brother. God bless you. Thank you, you buddy. Thanks. And thank you for listening to There's Always a Way with Dr. Jay Strack. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to your story or tagging us on Instagram or Twitter at the letter JSTRAC007. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. Because of you, others are able to be encouraged and equipped by these incredible episodes.